Thanks for listening to Reawaken, creating community and meaningful action to shift paradigms in mental health, trauma and addiction, a podcast by The Humane Clinic. Hosted by Matt Ball and Stephanie Mitchell and produced by me, Rory Ritchie, aka Producer Dan. Incidental music by yours truly and our theme song is Hope by the talented Addo Mull. Everywhere people, in every place, all of the countries and each race, Need your hope, that's what this word is in need Hope is in the water that sprouts the seed Hope is the thing that stops you bleed Welcome to Reawaken, I'm Matt, hello Steph Hi Hey Rory Hello We're um, we're just going to have a yarn, Steph's been in America I've been in the UK and Rory's been holding the fort with Rachel Yeah, so you know, um, so it we was... were going to have a bit of a chat about our trips and what it's been like and what our hopes are. And is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, people you met, things you learned. Yeah. 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 I was going to tell you a bit about hanging out with Lucy Johnson and Good. Disorder for Everyone. Tell me. Went to uh, a healthcare trust in North London and was inspired, can only say inspired, by um, 25 psychologists, nurses, I think some social workers, all learning how to formulate using the Power Threat Meaning Framework. Mm. And um, what I, the, I was just talking to someone about it this morning as I was reflecting, and the thing that I loved most was that not everybody was comfortable with it or on board, but they were there and they were committed to working out how to get on board and get yeah. comfortable. Right. And wow. I just was like, wow, that's inspiring, man. To see that many people wanting mm. wanting to hear how power has operated in people's lives and therefore why they're in the mental health system mm-hmm. and how do you respond you know how do you use your skills as a professional to respond pretty beautiful mm. so that was amazing then lucy was not very well that day so then the next day i went and presented a disorder for everyone <laughs> That is an event. Is it? Yeah. Well, you know, Lucy couldn't go, so I ended up presenting a little bit about the Power Threat Meaning Framework, but Joe Watson, who runs it, also said, could I do something about why psychiatric diagnosis isn't legitimate? Yeah. Well, what bloody permission, you know. Mm. So basically, I introduced barefoot psychiatry, <laughs> uh, which is bears eating feet and other stories of psychiatry or yes. whatever. And... Um, it was a Facebook group, which I've taken down. You know, the residual schizophrenia label and the touching the psychotic membrane. The crazy thing. So just for people listening, two things I want to say. One is, you and I have just arrived off planes. Yes. And we haven't actually spoken. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm just sitting here going, there's so many questions I have and things I want to ask you. And, and so that's probably going to be part of this. That's one thing. And the second thing is just to say about barefoot psychiatry. No one will know what that is. So that was a Facebook group you started up to kind of bring together the nonsense, like serious, ridiculous nonsense yeah. phrases and things that get yeah. said by psychiatrists and other mental health professionals yeah. to people using the services and other professionals yeah. about these people who are supposedly mad. Yeah, that's exactly And so it was kind of like a fun group because we got to kind of get on there and go like... This is sad, but hilarious. Yeah, can you believe someone wrote this in the medical notes? That's my, right. I think my favourite is residual schizophrenia because I kind of imagine like a, a 
plate that had schizophrenia on it and it's all been eaten up uh -huh. except for these kind of drops of residuals <laughs> a few crumbs a few crumbs of schizophrenia or something and and then you i mean it can go into all sorts of things like that residual could be like an odor psychose you could kind of draw up the residual schizophrenia that these bloody weirdos talk about and i don't mean people in distress i mean the professionals mm. and um create like an odor schizo or something nice. i'd buy um, that fragrance <laughs> in your jet lag state <laughs> um but touching the psychotic membrane was just a classic someone yeah, i think we've mentioned that one yeah in the podcast before yeah ridiculous yeah. and and the other one that's just classic is this um this idea of um relative with schizophrenia and in this particular notes it said relatives it wasn't my notes somebody else said relative with schizophrenia great uncle which even if there was some sort of genetic link which we haven't demonstrated that's just stupid mm. and and this was a kind of justification for someone's schizophrenic label which was well yeah or well, the label was schizophrenic but the person said to be having schizophrenia yeah. Yes, and that they could find this great uncle that was proof that there was a genetic. <laughs> was this not the one, or is this, or is this a different case that it was actually an uncle by marriage or a relative? Oh, by no, it's a different case, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but quite possibly that was the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, someone married into the family with schizophrenia, yeah. and the it the, the residual drops of their schizophrenia. Oh, Must have been at the kitchen odor. table. The <laughs> this person accidentally washed up but didn't use hot enough water and they caught schizophrenia, I think. It reminds me of when I worked in a... Sharing bath water or something. Yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> I think people with schizophrenia always share bath water. And um, I remember working in a house for people with intellectual disabilities in England and we had different mugs. And I remember someone alluding to why we had different mugs was there was this sort of alluding to the idea and it, no one would actually say it because it's just stupid but sort of alluding to the idea that we might get something that one of the clients had right which i really love in an intellectual disability it's like no 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 so yeah so anyway, tell me more about your trip so yeah it's sort of for everyone then was 120 people in cornwall which i think was a big audience for cornwall they struggled to get numbers a bit like south australia yeah. And just, just so liberating and empowering to be in a space of two things. One was unadulterated, explicit, saying what, what's on your mind. Mm. So there's no holding back. No one was rude or offensive mm. to anyone, but just not pussyfooting around nice. and pretending we think this. And, mm. you know, in South Australia, that health, there's that idea that we've got to be respectful. But basically, if you're in a senior position and you say, I'm being respectful, then you can be horrible. Mm -hmm. okay. So that wasn't present, you know, so everyone could say what they think of the sort of everyone. And, and then there was, feminism was front and centre. <laughs> and, um, you know, there was a lot of calling out male violence, sexual violence against women. Um, there was the Women's Centre in Cornwall, which is this, it really came from the rape and rape crisis movement mm. um now called the women's center just very powerful viv gordon who's this um uh, playwright and actress i think and does poetry and she just started off with 
you know, succinct but really pointed poetry that you just couldn't really hide from. Mm-hmm. And personally, it spoke to a story in my life which was, you know, quite powerful at nine o'clock in the morning to be mm. wet eyes and mm. wondering how you're going to get through the day. Um, and then uh, the Women's Centre Corner, and then it's in the afternoon, Akima Thomas, who set up the Women's and Girls Network in London. Mm. Oh, God, it just gives me goosebumps. Makes me feel quite tearful thinking about it. She just, she speaks so skillfully and clearly and powerfully. And what I loved about her, but also everyone during that day, was these weren't people saying, it's not fair what's happened to me. These were people saying, wrong things have happened. People have violated me and perpetrated violence. And I am bigger and stronger and I have overcome beyond what's been done to me. Mm-hmm. So it was an incredible, powerful place for me of, of people saying, you know, you, you can try and knock me down, and, and I, I've already gone beyond where I was when you did that to me, mm. you know. And that, I thought, was a true sort of representation of kind of feminist position, mm. really. yeah, people nice. reclaiming and going beyond their own power. Mm of before and Pat McArdle who spoke on the Mayday Trust that was amazing she spoke about the Mayday Trust which supports homeless people and she said you know we decided to change we decided we didn't want to be one of those organizations that's everywhere one of those NGOs one of those government systems that says they do all the right things Mm -hmm. and does something else Mm -hmm. so we went to the people and asked them what they wanted and she kept saying, this wasn't academic evidence-based research. No. This was research based in what people who we're serving want. Yeah. I think their whole board changed. I think half their staff workforce left wow. because there was this clear choice. Either you get on board mm. with what people we're here to serve want or you, you, nice. you have to go somewhere else. And we all know there's any number of NGOs and health services you can go and hide behind um, <sighs> the the nice taglines and corporate nonsense about how we do different things Mm -hmm. and it was just really powerful listening to Pat talking about how they actually did it Mm. and um, how hard it was, Mm. how overwhelming, how busy they were, how intense it was Yeah, but it was every bit worth it you know so yeah it was a a truly invigorating day and I think delivering the Power Threat Mini Framework workshop and a, and, and, and a short overview was just such a privilege. Mm. Um, and your sister went. My sister went, Tell me yeah. about that. That sounded amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, look. Because there's a story behind. Yeah, there's a big story. And my, my sister supported me when I was said to be unwell in the system all those years ago and was a big part of that. But she's also been on her own journey. And I think that's been missed mm. in us in our community back there. And um, to see my sister sitting next to other activists in the room and um, being deeply touched. And I think when we left on the way home, we had a very personal conversation, which I won't talk about, but some of the aspects of that were, she said, I've never sat in an environment like that. I've never been around people speaking like that. And I just think that was liberating for her. Mm. So if that's her experience, I wonder what everyone else's Mm. experience was. Mm. And for me and my sister, there was a moment when I was using my story in the Power Threat Meaning Framework, as I do with Lucy, with the story of Nick's case study. It's actually about me. And, you know, to have my sister in the room Mm. and realise deeply that my sister's version of my story is different to my version of my story. Mm -hmm. 
and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's not it's, one's not right, one's mm -hmm. not wrong. They're just different. Mm -hmm. But to connect on that was, yeah, really, really beautiful. And then of course, she uh, she connected on what it might mean to be empowered and not no longer oppressed in her story. Okay. Which I think has implications oh. in life. Mm. So I think we both came away feeling a real closeness that we shared something very deep and very powerful, but also kind of a little bit of like, whoa, what does this mean going forward? You know, how do we put this back in the box? Oh, we don't want to put it back in the box. Yeah, Good. that's right. Boom. So it was lovely. It was very beautiful seeing my sister mm. speak her truth to me that day. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Mm. And I think on Facebook she said she was proud of you or something. Yeah, was yeah, like? she was. It was. I think it was a good moment for her, especially as she walked with me when I was in distress, you know. Mm. Um, and then on the Saturday I went to a, had some time with my family in Cornwall in London and my daughter came with me so we had some really nice time. And then on the Saturday we went to, I went and presented at a forum which is a sort of forum for counsellors and psychotherapists and basically presented my dissociocotic theory and um, the idea of dropping disorders and labels. And um, yeah, that was pretty empowering. I, I presented at that forum about nine years ago before I left. So there was something pretty amazing about um, just going there and offering what I've learned mm -hmm. and what I've heard in myself mm -hmm. and in others. And um, I suppose, in all honesty, challenging some psychotherapists and counsellors, mm. who, some of whom do join in mm. with the diagnostic nonsense, mm -hmm. even though as therapists we shouldn't be. Mm. We've got no reason to. Yeah. And yet we do it. Yeah. yeah. And so it was pretty empowering to stand up there and kind of name it and own it and it was really well received. I've got to give kudos to them. Okay. I think people were buying yeah. for it. And what I suppose I was surprised about, people had heard of, of A Disorder for Everyone. Mm -hmm. They'd heard of Mad in America. They, there was people in the room saying the DSM's bullshit mm -hmm. and how on earth do we just avoid getting mm -hmm. anywhere near this stuff. There was others that did use the things, but it was really, it was good. It's it was good to you. Yeah, it was. And there was people, you know, there was music therapists in the room just going, you know, whatever you think of music therapy, it's an alternative mm. that is a medium for people to express themselves. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what we need? Yeah. You know, which was, yeah, it's good. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It's good. Come back a bit, um, a bit worried about all our projects. Yeah. But also, um, from a professional point of view, I think I came back feeling like what we're doing is really important. Mm. All, all of us here, you know, really important stuff. There's my 15-minute whistle stop. <laughs> I've been thinking about uh, what you may have learned for our reawaken events coming up around the country. Yeah, look, yeah, I did think about that a lot when I stood at, at um, a disorder for everyone. What, one thing struck me was that it wasn't glossy and fancy. Mm. Yeah. It was full of energy and substance. Mm -hmm. And that sounds a bit of a cheesy line, but... Yeah, it was, you know, the layout for the day wasn't written all over posters, it was written on an A4 piece of paper, mm -hmm. and it changed when we needed it to, yeah. and um, that gave me heart for going around reawaken and saying, no, it's about substance, it's about 
mm. communities that have invited us to go there, making sure they get what they need, get what they, need. they the... hear what they need to hear, the local speakers, the national speakers, we got Lucy ringing in, I just think, yeah. Mm. You would say what they need to say as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, you know, if we could have half of what this order for everyone's got in terms of that honesty and integrity and outspoken mm -hmm. views, mm. that would be great. Mm. We don't have that in Australia as far as I can see. No, no. And I was just reflecting as you were speaking, um, I did some training recently and got a bit of um, kind of feedback from someone that they didn't really like something I'd said. And, um, and I was just thinking, and I, I've sort of had... You know, spend some time in the training, seeing if I could find some middle ground where there'd be some understanding about what I meant and what they were hearing and the disruption, like that they felt, you know, othered and various things. And um, and it's just tricky though in those spaces because sometimes someone just doesn't want to hear something. And how to how to I've really come back from my trip away thinking um, I'm not really interested in apologising for what I do believe. You know. Yes. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so. well, that feels exactly consistent mm. with the theme. Mm. And I don't think, you know, I don't think Disorder for Everyone was adversarial. No. I think it was about people mm. feeling confident to speak. Maybe we'll go to a break yes. and come back after this. Great. Yeah, hear, hear about Steph's trip. Eh? Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait. All right. Cool. See you in a bit. So welcome back to Reawaken. Um, here with Steph again, and uh, producer Dan Rory has just dropped out for a minute. He's had to go and do some producer work. So, uh, so we're just going to carry on anyway, and Rory might join us or, or might not. But um, yeah, Steph, we were just going to talk a little bit about you've been away to America, mm. and uh, I just thought it was really contrasting but equally valuable what mm. you've been away and done. Yeah. And I think we're going to do a bit more in-depth podcast about the individual trips. But I mm -hmm. wonder if you want to just give us a bit of an overview of what you've been up to. Yeah, all right. Well, I went over to the US because um, I'm training in a model called Internal Family Systems Therapy, which um, mm. I love. And I've had a lot of help in my own trauma work. Um, and so it was a retreat. Normally I go for trainings. This was a mm. retreat. So it's sort of like two weeks of working on yourself, which is kind of like, I'm not sure how many people pay thousands of dollars to go and do therapy 24 hours a day for two weeks. It's kind of a <laughs> stupid thing to do really because you just <laughs> you get down into your stuff and you cry and you feel miserable and you feel <laughs> elated and you love each other and you're in a group of 30 people who are just all messing, just complete mess crying. and Beautiful. Yeah. And um, you do that, don't you? You do that something. Who who does it? Well, you do. Yeah, it. yeah I, do. I might do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was a real. It was a big journey and um, mm. significant. Uh, I, you know, obviously each time I go and do that, I learn a bit more about the model, but I also get to know my parts and my experience mm. of trauma and things more deeply. And and then it, afterwards, it just sort of helps me to maybe understand. Oh, there's there's that thing that arises in me all the time, and I know it a bit better now. Mm. That's why I do it. You know, yeah, it's like nice. deeply staying with something for two weeks means that later on, when it pokes me, you know, or what we might call triggers or whatever, um, I'm like, oh, I know you. Yeah, okay. Mm. And um, so I did 
two weeks of that and um, met some beautiful people and um, really um, my first week because it was two different weeks so you could sign up for one week or both so it's a different cohort on each week yeah and the first week was a really really um very very safe group just the nature of the group was that um somehow people don't know what it was but we we just seemed to find a way to be together that i felt really safe and nurtured and held in by other participants as well as the facilitator um the second week was similar but different um i didn't have the same level of feeling very nurtured. It wasn't unsafe, but it just, you know, it's a different group. And when you've had this bubble of love for a week, <laughs> it's hard to replicate mm. with a new group. You're kind mm. of almost disappointed you lost the old one. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I did. And um, so, mm. and I've, I've actually had, you know, what is worth mentioning maybe is um, that, yeah, it feels like some of the trauma stuff that I haven't been able to get near before, I've been able to process and I've, I've come home feeling a bit more steady. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love it and I'm glad you just clarified that because, or commented on that because a couple of things came up for me. One was you also went with Bernie, who, who's a student therapist here. Yeah. And friend of ours, and I, I love that idea that the two of you went away and mm-hmm. shared mm. both a similar and very different experience. Mm. Because um, I think sometimes we go away from where we're based, and then to try and integrate that back into our world is pretty tricky. Mm. And I like the idea that the two of you went, you mm. know, so there was something shared that you bring back mm. and bring back to me and Rory and Rachel and everyone else here at the clinic. Mm. But also, what I noticed when you were talking was that we're doing, we're just recording this on the uh, around an ECPR. Mm-hmm. Um, workshop and we're at the beginning of the second day and and um, you know it's just been it was great spending the day with you yesterday and I, I think we one of the things we both got and I wonder if you want to comment on it but one of the things we both got from our respective trips that we're talking about on this podcast is you know yesterday when I was workshopping with you we, mm-hmm. we were offering ECV I just I had a, a sense of safety and my mm. confidence in myself around it, and, and I think you did. Yeah, I did. And so it made yesterday's workshop with you, you know, the two of us sitting up front being very honest and in our emotions, it just, it, it felt like something shifted. So yeah. these two trips, you know, yours to America, mm-hmm. mine to the UK, very mm. different, but equally unique, mm. Has it's not just we've gone away and done something and spent money doing it, no. we've actually... It, we can see the kind of tangible value mm, in yeah. going and just exploring those aspects of ourselves. Mm. I don't know if you want yeah, to comment on that. Or? Yeah, I do feel like it's been a big change. And, you know, if I want to comment just on the ECPR, it has been, um, yesterday was such a treat, you know, because mm. you're right, we've both shifted a little. And it mm. feels a lot like... Um, I feel more steady in myself. I feel you being more steady. And then mm. somehow together we're closer because of it. Mm. And, um, mm. uh, yeah, and, and, and that just has made um, made it easier to just be in the trainings with mm. sort of, um, you know, I've always trusted you and I know you always say it's so easy to work with me in the trainings because mm. we, we do trust each other. But there was like, it was there's another level of that yesterday. Yeah. 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 And, and I suppose, yeah, and I felt that. And 
you know, if the listeners can hear people in the background, people are arriving for the ECPR training. I quite like that, that yeah. we're recording this. It's real. Yeah. But I, I, I suppose the bit that I really heard you saying about America that really captured my interest was you talked about going and looking some of your own trauma, looking at some yeah. of your own work. Mm. And I think that there's an idea in the trauma therapy world mm -hmm. that we have to go and do deep catharsis of trauma you know uh -huh. but actually it's a life journey right you know we can't get rid of what's happened mm -hmm, no. but we can learn to be different in relationship to it mm. and new in relationship to it or even old if we need to go and revisit it but I, I suppose that's what I've heard you talk about in our conversation since you've been back is well I looked at this just in a different way because I was in a different environment doing something differently mm -hmm. and now we've come back and, and actually I feel the same in England I did it in a different way and I we've both come back and that's where I think some of the shift in our relationship around training has come from is that or that calm is that you know neither of us are looking at it going oh that trauma we experienced it's gone I didn't have it uh -huh. that's yeah. nonsense yeah, yeah. that's not what trauma works about uh -huh. it's about going oh wow I'm not broken mm. I you know it, I am all of me all of all of me that's lived and existed mm. and I that's what I've heard you talk about in America was this another way of being in mm. relationship with your experience I don't know if you felt that or not yeah or... and I suppose I frame it slightly differently to you so mm. I do believe that there's possibility for healing I don't yeah. think that I have to live with the trauma in my body in the way that I have lived mm. you know mm. where it's been an extremely frightening experience um, I believe that there's a place that we can get to where does the trauma stop, mm. you know, do we get rid of it? No. Do we come to a place where it's completely, oh, that didn't happen to me? No. But I think that we do get to places where it just feels safer. And I must admit, the thing that I've come home with is feeling, you know, I still get, you know, yesterday <clears throat> some things happened in the training mm. that were mm. a little bit, oh, yeah. and I noticed that in myself. And I was like, oh, gosh, what's this going to be like overnight? Yeah. You know, this old thing that gets yeah. poked. And I just felt so much safer in my body. Oh, I actually could kind of go, yeah, oh, that great. feels a bit wobbly and I know that old stuff. But I know I'm okay. I'm really like, even mm. if the worst fear that is kind of being percolated inside of me at the moment mm. was to be true, I know I could kind of hold it. Mm. And I think that's what I mean by healing. It, felt, it yeah. feels different in the sense yeah. of, you know, I still had some concerns but I just really was able to be with the parts of me who were frightened in a way that was kind of like, I hear you, I can be with it. Can you see, and this is an IFS thing, okay, mm -hmm. that me, the adult Stephanie, who kind of can hold that, that we're not back there and that we're really mm -hmm. safe. And even if that thing that you're so worried about could happen, yeah. um, that w I would navigate that. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that for me is what ends yeah. up shifting inside of us. Does it mean yeah. that the trauma is not there? No. Um, but I think that the way that I experience the overwhelm of that old trauma is completely different. Yeah. And I believe, yeah. you know, I'm only partway through my journey. I, be I believe from what I've heard of other people who've, you know, done certain types of work, um, they get to a place where it just ceases to poke them in the same way. They might get a little mm. bit of a rise, but it settles. And I had a little taste of that yesterday. It was pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I'm really glad you kind of clarified that because I, I, I just agree with everything you said. Yeah, and I think maybe I was clumsy 
So I'm really grateful to you for articulating mm. that because I really, you know, I went over to England with a bit of a mission mm. and I didn't complete the mission. Mm. Um, but you would know the voice I was hearing last year was telling me, let go of the mission. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's a little bit of a, a metaphor for me was I went over there with a very big, strong mission and intention to do something which I needed to do around traumas in my life. I didn't achieve that, mm-hmm. but I've come back feeling better wow. about that. And in wow. some ways I feel like, had I gone over there and completed this, I've got to do this, tell this, tell these people this, then maybe I would have come back with quite a lot of discomfort and overwhelm. Mm-hmm. But actually I kind of observed what it was like not to need, not to have that furious need to solve something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That feels quite healing. Mm. And I think, I suppose what that resonates with me is that idea that, oh, okay, so maybe next time I have that energy to, to do the mission, mm. it won't poke me quite as much because mm. I've had the, the, the fuller experience of noticing intention but not the outcome but also sitting all right with that. And, mm-hmm. and that feels, mm-hmm. I actually feel quite relieved, <laughs> you know. So, and I think that's a lot of times what trauma can do to me mm. is it yeah. wells up this energy yeah. in me that I've got to do something. Oh, and then I realised if I don't get the opportunity to do it, maybe it, it was also quite a gift that That's I didn't so need to follow It's so interesting you said that because I've had a parallel process. You know, mm. I, I processed some trauma. That was huge for me. Mm. But I also had another process going on for me, and mm. that is that I kind of went over with an agenda as well. Yeah. And, um, and I've always, you know, when we talk about kind of coping behaviours or whatever, it's like the trauma sits over here and I'm kind of holding my hands off to the right side of my body here that the mm. listeners can't see. Um, the trauma sits over here and that has its own experiences and things. But then the way we cope is kind of like a set of other things. And so if I put my hands on the left side of my body over this side and sort of show that, you know, mm. this is the way I've coped. And so my coping mechanisms have always been, I don't want to go into it too much. I'm, yeah. I'm being cryptic a little bit on purpose because yeah. it's personal. Um, but the way I coped is always to do a certain thing. And what happened was I was going overseas in order to... Um, work on my trauma which is on the right side here Mm. but also because i had maybe a coping thing that i've always done which is well i will say it i've always chased something in my life Mm. external to me that is going to make things better Mm. and i just had this disillusion uh dissolving really of um something that had felt previously so important to me to chase just something evaporated in that time over there where i I actually went through, it was pretty painful for a few days where this kind of belief I've held dissolved because it's comforted me for a lot of years. Mm. And mm. so to have it dissolve was devastating. Yeah. You know, like what do I do if I don't do that thing? That's on, <laughs> that's the only thing that's made me survive all my life. Yeah. And so watching that happen and grieving that and and then kind of coming home and going and, and then in the process of that sort of thinking, so I could choose another way of being in the world. Maybe mm. I don't need that old coping strategy. Maybe I have something new that I can emerge into. And so I mm. think it's so fascinating. You've had that similar experience where you went over with an agenda and then you've come back and mm. kind of gone, what's it like to not do the thing you kind of wanted and and notice the discomfort as well as the joys of that. And I've come away feeling like I went over with a mission around, you know, I've got to chase this thing and hold on to it and bring it back and seeing it dissolve in front of me has made me really go like, maybe I don't need that external thing. 
I may be actually, and this is what feels powerful to me is silly because all the Buddhist meditation people in the world talk about this. Every bloody (laughs) new age hippie will say, it's inside of you, Stephanie. So I feel like I'm using a few wank words, but, um, but you know, it feels alive and real regardless of the fact that it sounds wanky, um, that I've kind of just come home settled a bit more about, um, I can choose a new way of finding my way forward in life. Mm. Well, I think there's more in this story, you know, your trip to America, my trip to the Mm. UK and and working through trauma. And I think Mm. we can do more, but I, I I feel like this is a good place to pause because I I know what was going on for me while you were talking then was just, I just was really enjoying hearing Mm. you, just really valuing hearing well, actually, it feels like a gift the way you've articulated that mm-hmm. to me today. Okay. Yeah. I feel like, I feel quite emotional actually about it because I feel like, oh, goodness. Yeah, well, it resonated with me and it, it, uh, it's, I think it's allowed me to hear a, a part of my experience in England through your lens mm-hmm. in a way that's a bit clearer than what mm-hmm. it was before. So yeah. I'm, honestly, I feel quite, well, very grateful, quite emotional really. Mm. And um, I think it's probably quite a gift for everybody to hear that. Mm. Is there anything you want to say before we finish? No, I just really want to also reiterate it's felt really powerful and I feel like this conversation's not finished. No. Yeah. We'll do it again, yeah, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Thanks Matt. So it's been much. beautiful. See Everywhere people, in every place, all of the countries and each race, need your hope, that's what this world is in need, hope is in the water that sprouts the seed, hope is the thing that stops you bleed, hope is the ivory in the weed, so give hope, and live hope, and when your kids are hungry, feed them hope, if the system bleeds you dry, have hope, if the situation makes you cry, have hope, now it's time to dry your eyes and hope That that'll keep your dreams alive I hope that you hope Cause everyone's future is resting on your hope Can take the worst thing and turn it around Hope can find the lost that was not to be found Hope can make the loser them stuck in ground and Hope can turn your pennies right back into pounds Cause hope can be rebuilt even when it's been killed And if you believe, your hope will be fulfilled But people lied just to raise your hope Just to make you think that they're helping you cope They're selling you eggs without no yolk They're wearing you down until your will is broke This ain't real hope, they don't feel hope They real hope and deal hope and turn it into false hope Then we give up on this world like it's a sinking boat We let each other drown instead of flinging the rope We're turning the place into some kind of joke But we can't laugh, we can't lose hope In these times while they commit these crimes Because there's nothing else out here keeping us afloat Hope is elusive, a glint in the eye That something is exclusive, a thing they can buy or make excuses, they just sit and ask why Our mistakes are conclusive, hope will just die But I wouldn't lie, singing all lullaby Give hope a try, and hope gets high You'll be bereaved, but you'll also receive Have hope, can't be deceived, you've just got to believe And hope, don't let it leave, forever receive Just hope, and then one day, you're going to succeed You can't live without hope, don't go without hope Don't doubt hope, will keep you warm when you're shivering with cold Young when you're tired and old Hope 
can make a bright man hearty and bold And hope can find the truth that has never been told Cause some people take hope and some people make hope But you are the people, you people here You're the ones that I feel are sincere You're raising my hope, will hold your hand when you're feeling secure Hope will find a way through any locked door Hope will give you guidance when you're feeling unsure Make a point to the wise even when there's a floor Much more.